Seinfeld season eight premiere. The foundation is over, but we're just getting started here in the Seinfeld post-show recap. And now here are the two guys who never don the urban sombrero. I'm Rob Sestrino. Here's Akiva Whitaker. Keith, how are you? I would probably wear an urban sombrero. You would? Anything that hides my baldness at this point, I'd put on. <laughs> Nobody would notice that I was bald wearing that hat. <laughs> they would just be too distracted by the giant hat. Of course. Yes. The urban sombrero is here and Keeve, we are in the rarefied air of Seinfeld season eight. How does it feel? I, I mean, it's amazing. I, I, you know, we could see the light at the end of the tunnel. I know I've said that a hundred times, but uh, I, I, you know, season eight is going to be a lot of fun. There's not a bad, ep- there's not a really bad episode in all of season eight. Mm. Um, unless you think this one's really bad. Um, the, I, you know, there's, uh, there's so much to get to, uh, you know, people like someone tweeted us today. A couple of people tweeted like, you know, it really goes downhill after Larry leaves the show, jumped the shark. And none of that's true. A lot of people think season eight is the best season of the show. Yeah. So we got a lot on our plate these next couple of weeks. The foundation, the soulmate, the bizarre, the bizarro Jerry, a uh, little kicks. So we've got plenty of uh, great Seinfeld episodes uh, coming down the pike. Yeah. Uh, you know, tying in some loose ends from last week. Uh, we always we always seem to forget that to do this in the season finale and end up doing the season premiere. I think this is the third or fourth straight season in a row we've done this. Yeah. But uh, if we can go back to last week, let's rank the seasons. Sure. Now, you probably, you know, you're the professional ranker that you know a lot more about. I couldn't even remember how we ranked the seasons last time. So what do you have? Well, I went back and I checked. Our, I listened to the beginning of the season seven premiere, The Engagement. Is that the first time you ever listened to an episode of this podcast? I've listened like some, you know, at the beginning, I would listen to check my audio, make sure it was OK. It's very hard for me to listen to my own voice. Uh, so I've never listened to a full episode, but I've, I've, you know, accidentally turned on pieces here. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I'm listening to something and then the next thing that starts will be this podcast. And then I say, oh, OK, that's fun. Yeah, it's uh, it, I just I don't know. I mean, I guess you have to listen to your own voice. You edit it, but I just can't. I, I, I well, spend not the whole this time podcast. Think, Scott St. Pierre. Don't that's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Um, yeah, maybe that's why you don't edit it. Yeah. That's that's why you don't. I mean, you, at, at one point you did edit this podcast, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, I did. Uh, in the early days, I do edit a lot of my own podcasts. All right. So we, our rankings were pretty similar. My rankings through the first six seasons were five, four, six, three, two, one. OK. And your ranking was four, five, six, three, two, one. So we really just flipped four and five. OK. Uh, so now season seven, just as a refresher, uh, started with the engagement and the postponement. The big highlight was the soup Nazi. You also had the wink, the hot tub, the gum, the caddy, the rye, the seven, uh, the calzone, couple two-parters in the Cadillac and the bottle deposit, and obviously it ended with the invitations. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of clunkers in there. Not a lot. And now, of course, as we go on, it gets harder to rank the seasons because you barely remember, like, all right, season six. Like, it's hard <laughs> to gauge, like, this 24 versus that 24. Right. So I had what? Five, I had five, four, six, three, two, one. No, you had four, five, six, four, five, six, four, five, six, three, two, one. The same combination on my luggage. Okay. So, Keeve, where are you going? I'm going to to me. Seven is really solid. There really aren't a lot of bad episodes, but it's not top heavy other than the soup Nazi. So I'm going to put seven in the middle. It's going to be five, four, six, seven, three, two, one. Okay. Uh, boy, I, I did feel like that seven was again, I, that I'll, I'll go keep it the same because that it would be just folly for me to even try to remember, you know, comparing 22 episodes of one season to another. Yeah, I mean, this is probably I, there was a little bit of a stretch there where I felt like that we were hitting some clunkers in season seven. In season I think seven. six and seven are pretty are pretty even. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, so we both have six over seven. I'm telling you a lot of people I was looking at like not there aren't a lot of season ranks out there, but just judging by like individual ranks of episodes, uh, you know, season eight is really going to make a run for the for the uh, for the crown. OK. All right. Well, let's get into it. Anything else? Any other Seinfeld news or items you want to talk about? We actually uh, over this past week simulated a season of Big Brother with the Seinfeld cast. Got some pretty good responses over on Rob has a website dot com. Oh, yeah, that was fun. Um, yeah, I guess we won't spoil it. Say who won. But uh, what's funny is like people were people ask me like, hey, you know, I like Seinfeld, but I don't know Big Brother. Will I appreciate it? And I think, you know, maybe you Google a couple terms, you could get through it. And then there was like, I like Big Brother, but I don't like Seinfeld. Well, I appreciate it. I think probably that's a, you should you should skip that. <laughs> yeah. OK. Yeah, I think you probably could get it. I think you could wrap your head around. It. I think, yeah, knowing Seinfeld, I think, is enough to get you in the door. Just knowing Big Brother, I think you're sort of like, I, I don't get why, why this is funny. Right. So I think it was kind of niche in the sense that you have to love Seinfeld and Big Brother. Like there's a very finite number of people on this earth. Who like both those shows? I guess you podcast about both of them, so yeah, you may have that right niche. No, I think I found all yes. the people that like both <laughs> those shows. Okay. okay, all right, Keeve. So, anything else you want to talk about before we get into this first episode of the post Larry David era? No, let's get started. Okay, anything you want to mention in terms of these two seasons without Larry David off the top of your head? I mean, you know, someone actually asked a good question that you know technically could be in the mailbag, but it, maybe it's worth discussing now just to think about. Uh, now that people, we didn't know, like in 1995, no one knew the term showrunner, right? Right. Nobody knew. And when I was watching, you know, when you're watching, uh, you know, Friends in the 90s and you're watching ER or whatever, you don't know who's really, you didn't pay attention to like who's really doing these things. But now, like, you know, I would watch Parks and Recreation and I'd be like, oh, Megan Amram, you know, like wrote this episode. Like you literally know all these people because you follow them on Twitter or, you know, they're just like social media people. And, you know, now it's like Dan Harmon quits community and it was a big deal and people stopped watching just because it had a different showrunner, whereas 15 years ago, they would never have even known or, or even noticed that he left because right. that sort of thing wasn't wasn't covered. Did he so get he's, fired? Think, Did he get fired or you quit? I think he got fired. He got fired, but I think it was maybe for being difficult. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. I didn't watch community. But the point is like so Craig from Vancouver pointed out that I think the like had this happened in 2016, I do think there would have been a huge backlash. Well, you know, the Alan Seppin walls of the world, everyone who reviews individual episodes of TV shows would have been like, yep, you know, maybe even after this episode, they would have been like, yeah, not their best. Jerry himself says in the inside look that he didn't really love this episode, this this the foundation, the premiere, and it made him nervous that maybe they couldn't do it. And obviously his nerves were assuaged pretty quickly because, you know, they're they're already getting the classic episodes by episode three of this season. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, it's just interesting. The thing about like the the like. Uh, instant feedback era of 2016 may have sunk the show just because like maybe there wouldn't have been a season nine because Jerry would just would have everyone would have been adding him saying like uh, your show sucks and and you know it's it's not the same without LD I don't even think I knew who Larry David was until Curb Your Enthusiasm no he would he would not have been stopped on the street by anybody other than comedians yeah it's interesting to think about it that way. But as somebody who was watching this, you know, as you know, an 18 year old, I had no idea like anything was different with the Seinfeld cast or the show. No, nobody. Right. If he's not on the show, like nobody would know. And it just wasn't a big thing. I also like TV was a lot less, pre- even though this was like a well, you know, an esteemed show. 
uh, TV was much less prestigious in the 90s. Like back then it was movies and now movies are terrible and it's all about TV. <laughs> yeah. The one thing, though, coming out of Seinfeld season seven is I do believe it was a summer of backlash where people were very upset about the death of Susan. And I do feel like that the show does deal with that in a very tangible way here in season eight. Yes, uh, especially in this first episode, which I guess we'll get into discussing that, but like is a little bit stuck in the you know like picking up the pieces from from the season seven finale in a weird way where it doesn't know you know even like 15 minutes into this episode you still have the somber you know bomb 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 like the super slow mute you know uh a mute you know bass playing between scenes that you rarely see in you know in, in unless it gets super serious which is almost never in the finale it has a little bit of that but you know, it, it, it struggles to find the right tone, I think, this episode. Yeah, it's almost like that they got so much crap for George not reacting to Susan's death in the original episode in the finale of season seven that we spend a lot of this episode with the characters uh, still dealing with that. Yeah. Lots of uh, interesting things heading into season eight. So why don't we get into this? Of course, no more stand up, Keeve. Yeah, I think, uh, again, it just gives us another another 30 seconds, 45 seconds of uh exposition so we're fine and we also start off this episode and we have the seinfeld logo now has a checkered flag in the center which i guess was supposed to sort of signal that this was going to be the home stretch for seinfeld i mean is that true i believe so i think that that's what it is i mean notice that i don't know if it continues into season nine but i think that they thought all right let this logo will be the final lap around for the seinfeld gang yeah, I never thought about it like that, but uh, I guess I'm dumb. Yeah, I think that's what it was. So, but when you like are watching all the episodes back to back to back, it is very sort of like, uh, like, oh, that's different. You know, I also feel like that the characters or the actors uh, look a lot different from the last episode. I feel like that Jason Alexander is a lot skinnier from this episode from the previous one that we watched last week. And I don't know if that just might just be me or if he had like some better clothes, but I feel like that, you know, Kramer has like a haircut. He looks really good. You know, uh, Julie Louis Dreyfus looks like especially made up in these episodes where she's much more glamorous than she's looked in the past. So I don't know if that's anything to do with, post Larry David or just that they are all very successful and wealthy at this point and that it's just starting to show, but they, they all look like, you know, first day of school ready to go. Right. Maybe they, maybe they can't, you know, they, they finally were able to hire, hire personal trainers over this summer. Uh, yeah. I think George also, you're probably right. He lost like five pounds, but the wardrobe department gave him the same clothes. Cause it looks like it's a little too baggy for him. Yeah. I mean, especially in this first scene. I mean, he looks very svelte, Keeve. Yeah. I mean, who? maybe he had to lose weight for a role in the summer. I'm not sure what Jason Alexander was up to, but you're right. These, you know, they they were probably a lot of times shows for, contracts are for six or seven years. So it is possible like, you know, they're they're renewing for whatever, whatever the, what they were making, $400,000 an episode. Mm-hmm. Like ne- they went from being like, you know, very typical wealthy people to being fabulously wealthy only at the very start of this season, except for Julia, who who was always wealthy. Yeah, it's also maybe a thing where, you know, they're going to be back out on the market where it's like if you have a divorce coming up, maybe you start to get in shape before your divorce is finalized because, you know, you're going to be out there looking for your next job. You don't want to, you know, look like a disaster. Right. I mean, I got bad news for Jason and for Michael. Yes, yes. <laughs> Look, let's not worry about that. All right. So we start off at the cemetery and uh, commenting on the uh, magnificent stone for Susan. 
here in this episode. And we finally get to see the Rosses reacting to the loss of Susan. By the way, Susan was only 31. I feel like that's younger than she should have been. Hmm. Like she was a TV executive at 28. She was really a, a prodigy. Yeah, she was a real up and comer at NBC. And then uh, along came George Costanza and just totally uh, threw everything uh, off its course. I mean, what a life she could have had with the giant, you know, townhouse and the, the summer house and the beach house and all, you know, threw it all away, licked it all away. Yeah. You know, just going back to George visiting her apartment uh, when he goes to propose to her and then her moving in with George's apartment really makes uh, less and less sense the further we get away from it. I mean, this is just such an audible by them have for them having money unless they cut Susan off for some weird reason. And that's why she's depressed in season seven. It's possible. I mean, that here her parents certainly have money that they live in, you know, a nice place, uh, you know, that they visit. So, uh, I mean, I don't think that that's necessarily new, but just, you know, how well off they are, um, I think is probably a little bit of a twist here. Yeah, it's a little bit too much, too much. Yeah. I mean, we knew that they had something. Again, they were like in higher society. They had like a decent place in the city and they had the cabin. But like this type of wealth, like her dolls were worth two and a half million dollars. That means they have like bridge too far, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That means they have hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah. All right. So we have George alone uh, with the Rosses or they're going to leave him alone so he can uh, have some time to talk with Susan. He doesn't want to. He ends up sort of like talking about the Yankee summer. And little do we know here on uh, September 19th, 1996, uh, that the Yankees are only about a month away from winning the World Series. Yeah. Wade Boggs and that stupid horse is is coming right around the bend. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So he's talking about how the Yankees swept the Orioles after the All-Star break. Is that true? I think Chester says no in the uh, in his email, but I'm not sure. (laughs) Okay. All right. So uh, that he is, you know, going on and on and uh, that they end up going back to Jerry's apartment. And uh, George says it was awkward. Jerry doesn't mind the cemetery. It's such a weird take by Jerry that cemeteries are okay. Yeah, he likes it. He feels like it's close to golfing. That's so I mean, that is bizarre. (laughs) I think it was just a line. But anyway, so Jerry goes on to say that he told the Rosses that Susan's death takes place in the shadow of new life. She's not really dead if we find a way to remember her. Uh, and he says that that is from Star Trek to the Wrath of Khan. Keith, how much money would somebody have to pay you to watch Star Trek to the Wrath of Khan? Without, without watching Star Trek 1 first? You don't need to watch Star Trek 1. It's funny because I was thinking like they have these commercials now for, for Star Wars Rogue One, like the spinoff or whatever it is. Yes. And I was thinking if it would be funny if I just like started there. Like, nah, I don't need the first seven. I'm going to watch the spinoff. Yes. Okay. Or even better if you start off with Star Wars Rogue 2. I'll say this. I wouldn't, if you offered me like $1,000 to go watch this movie, I, if, it was in, if it was playing my house, I'd do it for $1,000. But go, I, I'd probably need a couple thousand dollars. But I, my wife is actually dragging me this weekend. We're going camping. Yes. And so I was thinking like if if you said if you watch this movie, you can get out of camping. I would I would watch like all seven Star Wars and this movie tonight. Wow. I would binge them all. <laughs> That's how badly I don't want to go camping. <laughs> Why do you have to go camping? I, my kids want to go and they're I, I apparently I promised them last year and we couldn't go. And uh, I, I don't know. This is the week. I, I'm, I'm really dreading it. Just paint the picture for me of camping. What is it? Are you in a cabin? Are you in a tent? No, it's tent. They, we had a tent 
And then she, they liked it so much. My kids were so into it that my wife bought like this massive tent. I don't even know how much, I don't even want to know how much it cost. It has like two rooms in it. It's enormous. Two room tents. Yeah, it's a big tent. I, I, because we really need it for the twice year that like because they went camping the summer on the beach without me. Yeah, which was great because I wasn't there. <laughs> uh, but uh, but this one I have to go to. I, I I can't tell you. I've never dreaded anything more in my whole life. Like, I, I don't know if I have any like real enemies out there. But if I do and you were planning on like killing me lo- sometime in the future, just uh, just do do it tomorrow, please. Well, if they're your enemy, they're not going to do you that kindness. Right. I know. I know. Any friend, any real friend would, would just put me out. Uh, of my uh, yeah. Tomorrow. Ask one of your <laughs> friends to kill you this <laughs> That's week. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So. And you terms, can't do it once I'm already camping. That's like torture. I don't right. want to die camping. So just uh, to give you the background, Star Trek two, Star Trek three. So spoiler alert for uh, the original uh, Star Trek Two: the wrath of Khan from 1982, I believe. That Star Trek II, uh, what happens is that Spock has to heroically save the crew of the Enterprise. And he ends up getting, he goes into the, like, the warp core room and ends up uh, getting uh, severe radiation poisoning. And then ultimately, uh, he ends up uh, dying in that moment to save the crew of the Enterprise. But all, the only thing I know about, about Spock is that Ep- that episode three or movie three, which is mentioned later in this episode, is called Search for Spock. So how if he died, how are they searching for him in three? That's a good question. So what happens is before Spock dies, that he does a Vulcan mind meld with Dr. McCoy and he ends up putting uh, his uh, everything he knows, basically uh, his all of the information in his brain uh, is in goes into Dr. McCoy and then he goes and sacrifices himself and then his body ends up getting put into, as Jerry calls it, a big sunglasses case and they shoot it out in, onto a planet. It just so happens that that planet was going to be uh, redeveloped with a thing called the Genesis device. Uh, which actually, Wait, then, Rob, can I just say yes. something? Uh, I'd rather go camping. I think, <laughs> <watch this> movie. <laughs> I just changed my mind. Yes, yes. <laughs> Holy cow! <laughs> so, who plays George, Spock? Leonard Nimoy. He just died uh, this past year. Oh, R.I.P. Lenny. Yes, and so that George is talking about how he grieved and that he was uh, for three months very upset summer months anybody could grieve in january i, I who, who did george takai play uh sulu and sulu he just posts a lot of memes well i that especially that he is a uh, a very he's a funny guy and i think that he's been very celebrated uh older in life uh as that he is a homosexual and then for a long time he was in the closet and then he Wait, came are we out. talking about Sulu or George Takei? George Takei. George Takei. Yes. Okay. Although I just know him. Last, he posts a lot of memes. In the yeah, he does uh, that. He's uh, like uh, has you know a you know tries to be funny, but then he's uh, he's very political right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I know he was like Howard Stern's announcer for a long time. Right, 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 right. And then they made the uh, Sulu gay in the new Star Trek movie. Okay, but but George it's not Takei, George Takei because he's probably but no, too but old George Takei role. didn't like that. But that, again, this is like a whole different story. Okay. Yes. He says that, you know, the, the character Sulu wasn't gay. Well, now he is now. Well, now they made him gay, but that's not <laughs> what George Takai wanted. OK, so 
Just getting back to this, uh, one one of the thing with Spock here that it is funny that Jerry and George both react to thinking about the death of Spock in a way that George never reacts to the death of Susan. Yeah, I mean it's a much bigger deal to him. <laughs> yeah, he's like, oh, that was a hell of a thing that Spock. <laughs> it's like a little subtle, uh, funny moment. But anyway, so George is excited to be back in the mix, and they're gonna go to a movie. I mean, so do they want us to believe that George literally spent the last three months mourning and not going to movies or at least pretending to mourn? I mean, he he literally called up Marissa Tomei on the like from, you know, on the way getting home from Susan dying. Yeah, I think that what they're trying to portray here is nothing happened in the summer on Seinfeld. So Elaine was in Mexico. George was grieving. And now here we are back to go. First day of school. And now season eight is kicking off like nothing interesting happened this summer. All right. Which. Yeah. OK. Well, Jerry was with that. his fiance. It was boring. George was grieving. Elaine was in Mexico and Kramer. You know, nothing happened to him either. They're just trying to get us to pick off, pick up where we left off as best as possible. Yes. So here comes Kramer and uh, Kramer can't go to the movies. He has to go to a martial arts class. He's been going to karate or as he calls it, karate. The people who do karate do a lot of talking about karate. Yes. Do you know a lot of people that do karate? No, but when I was in like third grade, I did. Yeah. I do think mixed martial arts has probably killed karate. Killed karate. I mean, could you go into MMA just knowing karate? Like, could you go into the UFC just knowing karate? Yes. If you like stepped in the octagon, I think you'd die. You would die. I I can't believe that. Bruce Lee in his prime goes into MMA. Goes into the UFC. Whatever. Um, I mean, the thing is, like, he might have been better than, like, he might have known more than karate. But there's you know no I mean? kicking in UFC, right? You're not allowed to kick? Yeah, well, there's definitely kicking in the UFC. Oh, there's kicking, okay. A lot yeah. of kicking. So I can't, why doesn't some black belt go into the uh, uh, UFC? Because they would get destroyed. You have to be able to wrestle. Some of these guys are like, you know, like, you know, national champion wrestlers and like solid boxers and. You have to, ha- you know, a lot of them have one particular skill set originally, but you have to build on that and, you know, be- become competent at, at like grappling and boxing and wrestling. Bruce Lee, and 10 guys things. could attack him at once and he's fine. He wins. Yeah, but he doesn't. It wasn't 10 Conor McGregor's. It was like 10 dopes. Yeah. And extras. OK, I still got the, my money on the karate. I, I don't know. I think I, John Bones Jones and Bruce Lee. I feel like Bruce Lee is, uh, you know. It's going to it's not going to end well for him. All right. Well, anyway, that Jerry says he has to go pick up Elaine from the airport. She's been in Mexico for six weeks, six weeks in Mexico. Keith, could you believe it? It's like a really long work trip. Yeah, really long work trip. And uh, Kramer is like, no, I just saw her for fireworks. And uh, Jerry says, no, that was the 4th of July. So, again, I don't know why Kramer seems to think that 4th of July was just the other day. I mean, he's done so much, so much drugs at this point that. You know, his memory, it's reasonable that it's totally slipping. Yeah. Uh, Jerry has a good line as he walks out the door where Kramer is like, uh, no, Jerry, karate is here, is here, is here. Uh, When Jerry is leaving, he says to Kramer, I don't want to see you here, here or here. Yeah, probably more visual joke if if you just listen to the podcast and don't watch the episodes. But it was good. Yeah, maybe you remember. All right. All right. So we're back at the diner with Jerry and Elaine. Uh, Surprisingly, Jerry not eating cereal at the diner. Amazing. You know, he's always eaten cereal before. At least that's what they led us to believe in the last episode. Yeah. 
And so Elaine is talking about what she did in Mexico. And uh, she's a little bit indignant with Jerry uh, saying that he doesn't respect her work. Uh, He admits that he does not. I mean, I I don't really like I don't want to diss other people's works, but I don't really respect fashion. Hmm. I, I hear what he's saying. Has Jerry respected any other person's work through seven seasons and one episode of Seinfeld? I think he respects George's job. That's a respectable job. Yeah. I also think that he respects at least when he was uh, was was Lois a reporter. No, no. I'm trying to I feel like he just respected her name, Lois. I'm trying to think of anybody who had an occupation that he respected. Does he disrespect doctors, Jerry? Uh, Podiatrists. Yeah, but they're not real doctors, according to him. Popper MD. Well, again, you know, these are only dermatologists or doctors of those three. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he for- he admits at the end he forgot about skin cancer. So he may respect them now. <laughs> Perhaps. So Elaine wants to know what's going on. How's your fiance? I mean, it's just so funny in this pre-social media world that here we have these two members of the core four. And Elaine doesn't know about Jerry's uh, fiance and what's going on here. I, I, I mean, I guess it's the pre-cell phone era, but she didn't make one call to Jerry, you know, on Peterman's dime or Peterman's peso in the last six months. Yeah. Last six weeks that. Hey, Jerry, when's that wedding? Like, what's the deal? And it's so absurd because on any previous trip she's ever been on in the show, uh, it's that she is always calling Jerry. Yeah, we've had no problems with long distance calls when one's in New York, one's in Florida. I mean, Elaine is not cheap. It's ridiculous that she wouldn't have called once. So we finally get to uh, Jerry talking about what happened with Jeannie. That that, that was his fiance's name, Jeannie. Yeah. Jeannie Garofalo. Uh, mm-hmm. And they had the world's first ever mutual breakup. Yeah. I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. And that's it. Now, I mean, what did they do for the last month? Well, who, what did who do? Like, what did they do when they were together? What, I don't understand the question. Like, I just don't understand, like, uh, that they realized that uh, so quickly that if things were going downhill and it was just bad for both of them. Yeah. I mean, I, sometimes you spend enough time with a person, you start to get sick of them. Okay. Boy, I have no this is a foreign concept frame of reference. It's a foreign concept, but I think that's just that's what like social media. That's what sort of like uh, you know social media and and like pop culture has told me. That's mm-hmm. what happens. Yeah, she even <laughs> gives him the ring back. That's impressive. No lawsuit that's nice. over the ring. That's nice. Yeah, I feel like that, nice. that a lot of people feel like you know to the victor goes the spoils. And hey, you gave it to me. No backsies. You see a lot of lawsuits nowadays. Some celebrity doesn't give some ten million dollar ring back or something. Yeah. I mean, what is the right move now? You just say like, okay, well, I think that maybe if you are the person who is the breaker offer, then I think it's sort of uh, ballsy to say, oh, can I also have my ring back? But if she breaks up with you, then she should give the ring back. And this is pre-wedding. I think post-wedding, the ring is hers. Is that, yeah, fine, fine. You're, you're lucky if that's, uh, you know, the, the, the start of, of, of where it's going. Yeah. All right. So then he still hasn't told his parents uh, a little bit of a uh, super, uh, you know, F story in the episode. Jerry needs to tell his parents that he broke up with his fiance. Mm-hmm. OK. All right. So back at Jay Peterman, people are pitching Peterman for ideas for the catalog. Keith, how outdated is the idea of people who work at a catalog now? Yes. I mean, you probably still get catalogs in the mail, right? You get catalogs at in the mail, but you know, it's almost like that the whole job of Jay Peterman, there's no Jay Peterman retail store, right? Like the whole right. business is a catalog. 
It's a magazine that gets yeah. sent to people and there's no store and there's no website. It is weird, right? There's not even like one. There's not even like one sort of flagship store in the city. That can't be. That's nuts. Elaine never goes there. Yeah. I mean, I guess there's not or else we'd see it. Yeah. Nothing happens off camera. Um, But it, that is a little weird. It's a little bit like um, what's the place that sends out like the really expensive Christmas gifts? There's a, there's Sky a catalog. Mall? No, more expensive than Sky Mall. More like expensive than Sky Mall? Oh, yeah. You know, it's like a really like upper class. Like they'll have, you know, some like. Uh, you know, blender that has like a gold tinge and it's like twenty thousand dollars. I don't know. Wow. So it's like so I there are maybe one or two um like le- luxury type catalogs, I think that still exist. But yeah, it's a little an anachronistic now to have one. Yes. And so Peterman is getting really stressed out and people are trying to pitch him things and he's talking about like different fruits and apple and, uh, you know, he's just like rolling things off his desk and he's just having a, a breakdown as Elaine is trying to pitch him on an urban sombrero. Yeah. And they don't show the urban sombrero till uh, later. So it sounds like a good idea at the time, right? Yeah. OK. And you don't necessarily imagine what an urban sombrero looks like. Seemingly no difference between an urban sombrero and a regular sombrero. Yes. I, like, I don't know what a suburban sombrero would look like, but I imagine pretty similar. <laughs> yeah. Peterman is like, you know, trying to get a uh, a knot out of his neck. He says, my neck is one gargantuan monkey fist. Yeah, it's they do a weird job of selling Peterman being burnt out. Yes. And so he's asking for his pineapple and ultimately he's just going to leave. He walks out. Right. His neck hurts. So he's burnt out and he leaves his company. Yeah. All right, Jerry and George are on the street and eating ice cream cones, Keeve. Yeah, they seem, a, it, it's a little awkward, right? <laughs> that they're just like walking around like two, can you imagine like you and like another grown man just walking around the street eating ice cream cones? And Why, like, no, there's nothing wrong with that, Keeve. I just would be nervous they would like spill all over me. They're too messy to eat on the street. Ice Why, cream would you cones. eat a cup? No, I only do cones, but I, I feel like if you get a cone, you eat it at the store. At the store, okay, you wouldn't you want to walk, walk around. Cone. No. No, I like to sit at the at a table and eat my cone. I, if if you're taking it to go, I think you need to get a cup or at least like something to protect the cone. All right. Well, they're walking. George is talking about how he's free. He's his own boss. He wants to be biting uh, into a big block of cheese like an apple. Yeah, that's my fantasy too. <laughs> no, uh, are, you're not a big cheese guy, right? Not a, not a, not even a little cheese guy. No, I'm okay. not a big cheese guy. No. Well, would you rather have chocolate or cheese? Uh, you have some sort of like no, fondue I, or some sort of like uh, chocolate uh, fondue. I like cheese on things, but I never just eat cheese, you know? Yeah. So Jerry spots Dolores slash Mulva and she comes over and she's heard that Jerry has been engaged. And she thinks that maybe they should get back together sometime. Yeah, because women love guys who can commit. Yes, that's what the word is, Keeve. Uh, yeah, listen. Well, they must love us. We've committed for a long time. Sure, sure. Now, how much is it? Is this a thing? A guy who was previously engaged is a hot commodity? I don't think so. Yeah, I mean... He broke off his engagement. He should be a cold commodity. Like, that's not that's not really enticing. It shouldn't be. Yeah, what about divorced? Is that a hot commodity? I feel like no. Probably not, unless you're this like, baggage. Yeah, unless you're one of the, I mean, we talked about this last week, unless you're one of those divorced people. Right. That's super into divorce. Yeah, the engaged person who didn't get married, I feel like there's something there. There's a story, there's no baggage. That's ideal. You can always blame an engagement on the other person and they'll buy it. Mm-hmm. When, if it's a divorce, it's hard. It's, you know, it has to be more mutual. Mm-hmm. Sure. 
And so Dolores wants to go out because Jerry is an all the way guy and he's got the stink of being able to go all the way on him. And George says he stinks worse than Jerry does. Yeah, George, you can't get much closer than George without actually tying the knot. Yeah. Okay. So back at work, uh, Lane's on the phone with Peterman and uh, he can run the catalog uh, no longer. He's in Burma. That was fast. Two scenes ago, he was in New York. <laughs> yeah. But you might know it as Myanmar. In Myanmar. It's always Burma to him. I, I, yes. I know that it's Burma slash Myanmar, but I never know which one is current and which one is old. Yes. Um, Peterman, uh, that he gives Elaine, uh, basically tells her he's not coming back. And then he runs off to uh, chase a guy on a motorbike uh, with uh, melon. So Peterman is just he's been in search of fruit. And so uh, he's taken him to Burma. He could have just gone to Joe's. Yeah, I feel like he's also banned from Joe's. He had to go, <laughs> he had to go across the world for some fruit. All right. So now we go back to Jerry with Elaine and Elaine is uh, very concerned about uh, what are they going to do? And she's talking about uh, she's really like talking herself out of it. And Jerry is uh, piling on. Yeah, Jerry is definitely, uh, you know, he's of the opinion that Elaine cannot run the company. Yeah. And I'm also I'm a I'm a Jerry also where it's like I wouldn't I don't I, if I'm the number two, I don't want to be promoted to number one because you can only fail. And then when you fail as number one, you don't go back to being number two. Then you get fired, you know? Yeah. Well, I don't think that that is necessarily how Elaine is looking at it. That's certainly how George would be looking at it. But she is like almost thinking about it like I literally can't do this job. Like I, I like I won't be good at it. And Jerry is really like adding in. Uh, no, you won't. <laughs> she says, I am not qualified to run the catalog. He says, you're not qualified to work at the catalog, which is funny because Jerry doesn't respect the catalog, as he said. So no. What does he care who's running it? Yeah. All right, so here comes Kramer, and Kramer is here with a pep talk for Elaine because uh, when she says she can't run the catalog, he says, uh, whoa, when did that word can't enter your vocabulary? Where's your confidence? Yeah, if you're a crazy person like Kramer, like the, the, uh, the one thing that he has is when he comes up with some wacky idea, he knows in his heart of hearts that he can pull it off. So it yes. doesn't make sense to him, right, that someone can't do a job like this. No, a crazy person has an unbelievable amount of confidence that the crazy person is unable to realize, no, I can't do this. You know, I, that I had no, that even if this thing did happen, I in no way had any sort of impact on what has happened. Uh, I cite uh, Australian survivor as an example of this, Keeve. And it's just uh, that the crazy person is, has no idea what things will take. Do you think that there is a, inversely proportional relationship between uh self-awareness and self-confidence hmm the less the, the less self-aware you are the more confident in your abilities it's a good theory i mean i do think that there are certain self-aware self-confident people like i feel like that at some point it comes back around sure no because obviously there's like if you're a great surgeon you can know that you're a good surgeon so right. it may have I don't know how it works like proportionally, but there is definitely like if you have no self-awareness, you probably like think about it. Like anybody wants to be the president of the United States or of any easy, country, right? easy. No, 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 no. I, I, I think I even gave this example a couple of years ago. Like, OK, you have to have an incredible amount of self-confidence to think like, you know, who could you could help this country or be the prime minister here or whatever. Right. Me. 
I'm the best man for the job. Like, I would never think that, you know? Right. That's, With- that's insane to, to ever think that you're like, you're the right person for the job. So you do need some irrational confidence there. Right. With the self-awareness, I think that there's like an inverse bell curve where I think on both sides, I think that when you're like very self-aware, like you could be super confident. And when you have no self-awareness, you could be super confident. And then when you have like an average amount of self-awareness, you say, I have no idea what I'm doing. I mean, I think I have no idea what I'm doing. Do you think I have an average amount of self-awareness? I think you have a pretty good amount of self-awareness. And what about you? Do you have a lot of self-awareness? <laughs> I this was, uh, I think I debated this with my wife the other day. I, I think I told her all I have is self-awareness. So that's your that's your number one strength, self-awareness. <laughs> I think. So. What if? What if? What if? Like, and I, 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 I think you're right. But what if I, I was like laughing to myself now and thought like. Wow, Rob has no self-awareness. That's the thing he's worse at. And that's what he that's the only thing he thinks he has going for him. Then you'd really have nothing. Then I have nothing. Then I have nothing. <laughs> so I do feel like that I know for the most part, you know, what I can or can't do. I think I'm pretty self-aware where I don't bite off more than I can chew. Yeah, aim low and I think that's what it always works <laughs> right. that way. That's what I keep doing. <laughs> but anyway, he tells Elaine Hey, let me tell you a story, Kramer says, uh, about when I first studied uh, karate. Uh, He had no support, not from Jerry, not from Newman, from no one. And the first time that he fought somebody, he was terrified. His legs were like noodles, but he looked inside and found his katra. Yeah, which is different than kavorka, but it's also a thing. Yes. Uh, The katra, your spirit, the part of you which says, yes, I can. Now, again, this is a little bit different than the Star Trek three. I mean, that the word is the same, but Kramer has given it a different meaning where I think that the Star Trek version of this, what what Spock puts into McCoy during Star Trek two is basically like, for lack of a better word, his soul, like Mm -hmm. like his spirit was put into him. Uh, not necessarily his self-confidence. Okay. Okay. There's a lot of Star Trek talk already. Yes. Yes. Uh, I mean, certainly this is the that. most Star Trek episode of the entire run here. Of Seinfeld. Uh, I'm good. If this, it was a, if this was like, there's 10 more episodes with Star Trek references, I'd be like, I might have to sit out a few. Yeah. I think that Jerry might have one stand-up joke about Star Trek where he talked about how Captain Kirk had like the best living room and like a no wonder like the other aliens were coming over the ship. He had the big screen TV at his place. But I think that that's basically the extent of the crossover between Star Trek and Seinfeld until you get into actors from Seinfeld that have appeared on different Star Trek shows. Right. Uh, And you think Jerry, I, I guess, especially I wonder if Larry hates Star Trek. And Jerry had been waiting seven seasons, not that he wrote this episode, mm-hmm. but Jerry had been waiting seven seasons to like, he told the writers, like, you guys got to put in at least 30 Star Trek references in this episode. Yeah, I don't know if there's any Star Trek references in Curbs, but uh, I suspect Jerry probably, you know, saw Star Trek, the original series as a kid. He watched a lot of TV growing up, but I don't think that Jerry watched really any Star Trek uh, after that. Maybe, maybe if he even saw one of these Star Trek movies. All right. But definitely the writers of the episode did. All right. Let's talk more about Star Trek. What's okay. next? All right. So that uh, Kramer says, if you follow your Katra, you could do anything. All right. So um, Elaine gets pumped up. And it's funny that Kramer says, ah, that kid's going to be all right. And Jerry says, no, she's not. <laughs> 
I also love when he's talking about like how he, in karate class he's like, I'm dominating the dojo. Yes, yes. And uh, we'll get to Kramer in the dojo. So we see a knock at the door and hey, it's that kid from season seven that lives in the building. Joey. Yeah, I do like that. They brought Joey back. Yes. You know, there, there's no there's no reason on earth that this mom would ever let Kramer and Joey be in the same class. Yes. Well, she lets Kramer babysit. So I guess that this is a natural jumping off point. Well, she let him babysit. Had that go. <laughs> yeah. Not great. All right. So then he has to go to karate class and Jerry's asking you have class at the same time. Like, no, we're in the same class. Uh, And Jerry incredulously was thinking, uh, Kramer, you're fighting children. Uh, And Kramer explains that they're at the same level. You almost beat me. Yeah. So we see Kramer is in the carpool with like how many kids in the station wagon? I think it's about six. Yeah. What kind of carpool is this going around Midtown Manhattan? Yeah, I don't know. There's no such thing as carpool in the city. It's never happened. <laughs> yeah. Pick up all these different kids from all over Manhattan and take them. Yeah, to where they're driving them to Queens. Like it's insane. <laughs> OK. And so uh, it's very funny, though, the scene with all these kids and uh, Kramer has a juice box and the kids want ice cream and then uh, she gives in and then all the kids and Kramer all go nuts. I mean, sometimes my kids do that, too. My kids yeah. will be like, they'll ask my wife, like, hey, can we get ice cream? And I'm not like cheering. But of course, I want my wife to say yes. Oh, so you're the Kramer. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've been the Kramer before. <laughs> all right. So uh, and very quickly, we see Elaine at Peterman. She's like barking orders, telling people to be uh, doing stuff. Move, move, move. Now, on four new, new ideas by six o'clock. Yes. Okay. Uh, and then she says, uh, six ideas by four o'clock. How about that? I feel like Elaine would be a really good boss, like a tough boss, but a good boss. Yeah. In what way? I, she's she's really straightforward and tough, but not like, I mean, maybe she'd be mean enough to make you cry, but then she'd like laugh with you the next day. But inept. But she projects uh, a lot of confidence here where yes. she might not be doing a good job, but she's sitting at her desk smoking a stogie thinking like she you nailed this issue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah okay so then we end up seeing kramer in uh his karate class and he's just beating up all these kids yeah and the sensei is very culpable here because he's loving it every time kramer like kramer tombstones a kid like undertaker style <laughs> at one point and, which they don't even let you do that in the wwe anymore no right? literally you're i mean i think he's allowed to he's grandfathered in but and he's literally a grandfather i think also but um but yeah no they're not you're not allowed to do that sort of thing there's a lot they're pretty careful with the head injuries yes and the sensei is just chuckling in the background (laughs) did joey's mom sign a some sort of cte permission slip i think i think so yeah and the teacher is like holding up kramer's arm winner like what goes on in this karate class where there's just like some sort of like battle royal happening i know and i i feel like most kids activities have like a lot of parents watching also (laughs) yes no parents watching here yes um, now, this is completely not accurate, right? Like if I walked into a beginner's karate class, I wouldn't be in class with like six and seven year olds, right? I mean, it's tricky, right? If what if it's a small dojo and they only have one level, you can't just bump him up to yellow belt because he's older, mm-hmm. right? I guess you'd have to turn down his business. Would I have to wait until I would like there were other adults that were ready to take intro to karate? I'm not sure. I'm sure we have someone who took karate when they were a kid. How does this work? Because it is tricky because then you need like people who are the same age and the same level 
you know, you need a lot of classes. Well, no, I need people that took karate as an adult. Right. That's what I'm saying. You, you know, I'm saying you have kids and adults. You need to have totally separate classes with different levels. And I don't know how many levels there would be. It's pretty tricky. Yeah. Like I know now, like a nine year, these nine year olds could beat me up. So I feel like we should be allowed to be in the same class. Right. Are the karate classes co-ed? Am I fighting women in a karate class? When you're really little, you probably are. Yeah. Yes. I mean, am I fighting anybody in a karate class? I mean, I don't want it to be like some sort of like gladiator type scene. I, this is pretty heavy fighting. I feel like this has to be pretty late in the in the year. I always thought karate was a lot of like hand motions and chopping bricks. Yeah, it's interesting because I think that if you're not fighting, it's just Tai Bo at some point, right? I mean, I've never taken I don't know. I never took this stuff. I was not interested because there were no winners and losers. Like my friends would go and like you'd get a yellow belt and a blue belt and whatever color belt, but they didn't have fights. I, I only, I love sports for winners and losers. So mm-hmm. I would play basketball or soccer or I'm talking about on video games, not in real life. Yeah. But. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, so at what point would I fight somebody if I was in a karate class? I think never. Like I think never. the, like the all California, like karate kid tournament, whatever it was called. Yeah. Like the all, all Valley, the all Valley tournament with Daniel yes. Sand, like, that never has happened. Like, there's never been, like, a karate tournament with all of California. I don't think that that's real. Okay. All right. I'm sure somebody who we have a karate expert can uh, yeah. give us some more insight here. I'm surprised that it didn't already come in in the emails for this episode. Yeah. And, and karate maybe is going to have a resurgence because it's actually in the Olympics starting 2020. Oh, this is huge. Yeah. Yeah. It's really karate was dying and now maybe it'll come back. Okay. All right. So then we then go to George in his bachelor pad. He is only in underwear and uh, he's on his couch and his apartment is a mess and he's eating a big block of cheese. What is that? Cheddar? I don't know the cheeses. (laughs) All right. And it's the Rosses and they come in and uh, George tries to uh, cover himself up. And uh, I mean, should George have gotten dressed before going to the door? I feel like his door should have been locked. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So they tried to call, but the line was busy. What does George have the phone off the hook? Yeah, he's got it off the hook. Maybe he snipped it like Jerry does to his phone later in the episode. Okay. All right. So the Rosses are talking to him and they know it's been, you know, a hard couple of months. And, you know, it's terrible when the parents outlive their children. And George has a good line where he says, uh, yeah, I agree. I help my parents go long before I do. And they want to start a foundation. I'm surprised they didn't think of it all together. Like the fact that Jerry needed wealthy people have a child die young. There's no way they wouldn't have thought to do some charity for her. Yeah. And they say, boy, it's you'll be a big part of this. You'll be integral and uh, you'll be on the board of directors. And uh, the they will work around George's schedule evenings, weekends, whenever he has free time. I mean, does being on the board of directors of a charity pay? It doesn't. Right. I don't believe so. I mean, I'm sure that there are probably members of that that take a salary. Only if it's your full time job. I don't think it pays. Not not the board. Maybe maybe full time employees. Right. Right. And so Mr. Ross ends up citing Jerry's inspirational words, which they can't exactly remember. Uh, Yeah, but it's from Star Trek. Yes. But they know that if it wasn't for Jerry, that this would not have happened. Yeah, he'll be George will be sure to thank Jerry next time he sees him. Okay, all right. So we go back to Jerry and George at Monk's. Jerry again not eating cereal and English muffin this time. Shocking. Yes, 
And so that he asked George how was his day, and he comes in, and he takes a squeeze tube of mustard and squeezes it all into Jerry's coffee. Uh, yeah, that's pretty passive aggressive of uh, of George. Aggressive aggressive. Yeah, that's true. Yes. Okay. And so George uh, again brings up that what was that line from uh, the Star Trek? And uh, yeah, she's not really dead. If we find a way to remember her, and he says how the Rosses started this foundation. And he has to sit on the board of directors. Jerry ruined his life. <laughs> yeah. George uh, says, you know, because Jerry thinks it's great. He says, no, look at me. I was free and clear uh, that he remembers that he was stripped to the waist, eating a block of cheese the size of a car battery. Yeah. I mean, it's not my dream, but I really I could definitely empathize with George. Like when my wife goes away for a day, that's that's what the house looks like when she comes back, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what are you eating? Are you is it like a free for all? I'd say there would be a lot of like leftovers all over the couch and the tables and stuff, but I wouldn't be make, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even open my fridge though. It would be all ordering in. Yeah. And so uh, Jerry calls George out about how the, why do you keep talking about the block of cheese? And uh, George is very upset because he's back in and it's all because of wrath of Khan. Yeah. Star Trek's never really helped anybody. Uh, it's helped a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> And so very upset. Uh, and he yells out, Con! Uh, and uh, in the same way that uh, Kirk ends up uh, yelling at uh, at Khan after uh, bad things happen in that movie. I literally thought that joke started because Bill Simmons always used to do that. But the Minnesota Timberwolves old GM was named Khan. And I thought I didn't know that it was based on anything. I just thought like he was so inept. That people would yell his name. I didn't realize that's what that it was a Star Trek thing. Look at you. Now, you know, Star Trek references. Uh, yeah. But now I know less about basketball, apparently. <laughs> yeah. All right. So George meets with Wick Thayer. He is the chairman of the Susan Ross Foundation. One of the best names in all of Seinfeld. Such like an upper cross, like fancy dude name. I love it. Yeah, George thinks Wink, no Wick. And uh, we see for the first time this huge portrait of Susan. Uh, yeah, they had this stuff. I mean, I guess they had three months to make up stuff like this, but I'm surprised they didn't give George a portrait of Susan. Yeah. So she could haunt him in his house. <laughs> and they talk about the inside look that they try to get a lot of shots of Susan, like looking at George. And she really is giving him a look like she's like very disgusted with him. It's funny. And also like the producers and writers were like, you could tell they kind of felt bad about killing Heidi Swedberg off. Mm-hmm. So they like wanted to keep her memory around. Yes. Is that what it was? <laughs> that's what that's what they implied. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And so that all of these great things that George was going to get a townhouse and, uh, you know, so many different things uh, were going to be gifted to George and Susan. And now nothing. No, not. Yeah. Uh, so uh, some funny moments with George Wick here in this episode. Yeah. Uh, or Wick Thayer. You gotta, Wick, Wick Thayer. George and Wick. Yeah. Great combo. I, you know, I, I, I feel really bad for George here. I know it was his fault that Susan died, but. You know, no, it wasn't. Got to feel he picked out the invitations. Like I'm not saying he should go to jail, but it was his fault. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, how was he supposed to? He wouldn't have picked them if he knew that there was toxic glue. Don't, you know, don't always go cheap. Yeah, I don't know. I think that isn't there just as much of a chance that uh, expensive invitations have a toxic glue? No, no, okay, there's no not. chance. That I guess not. All right. So we see Jerry back with Malva, and uh, Malva is not buying the. Uh, mutual breakup thing yeah Dolores you know she has no sense of humor no Gipple 
Um, I, I don't, you know, I don't think, uh, this was not going to last long, even if Jerry agreed that this wasn't mutual, this is going to be over soon. Yeah. All right. So Jerry ends up coming back home and uh, his phone is ringing. He runs inside to pick up the phone and, uh, please hold for Elaine Bennis. Yeah. I mean, if you have, have you ever got that? Yeah. Chester does it, but it's his voice and he's just pretending to be a secretary. (laughs) Does he really? (laughs) No, but it would be funny if he did that. Yes, but does he do that when he calls you? No, he doesn't. I'm trying to think. The whole thing was a joke. Most of my, like, I'm trying to, I don't call people a lot. So this would have had to happen like eight years ago. Yeah. I I feel like I had a friend who was in student council at a college. And for some reason, like he got, he was like the school president in college. Yeah. Uh, And like, for some reason, he got a secretary. So like his secretary would like, he would, but he would make her do it. And again, she was probably like an adult. And he was like a 19 year old kid who just happened to be like elected as whatever, vice, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I remember like she would call and then put him on the phone. But that's the only time I've really got that because I don't answer my phone. It's possible I have people's secretaries calling me all day, but I, I wouldn't know because I don't answer it. Yeah. All right. Well, then Elaine ends up getting on the phone with Jerry and she just finished the Peterman catalog and it's a peach. You know, this is the second episode in a row where Elaine is going to her sort of like 40s gangster persona. I do like Elaine with the, with a ton of confidence, like kicking up her feet on the desk. I, I love this Elaine. Yeah, I find it to be a little cartoony. Like I've liked it in the past. I feel like it's a little cartoony here where she's like using all these words that she doesn't normally use. I do like the doofus stuff here, though. I like it a lot. Yeah. So she says uh, the mutual breakup. Nobody's buying it. You shouldn't be selling it. Uh, and she says that Kramer believed in me. You did not. So he's not the doofus. You're the doofus. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, doofus probably not as popular of a word in 2016 as 1996. Yeah. But I feel like it should make a comeback. It's a good word, doofus. So Jerry mentions that Kramer is at karate. And so Elaine volunteers. Oh, maybe I should go thank him in person. Well, Jerry really tricked her into this, right? I think. It was pretty devious of Jerry. I love this move. Yes. Uh, well, he says it occurs to me that Kramer is at karate right now. Yeah, that's that's trying to get her to like, oh, you think Kramer is some hero because he had a lot of faith in you and I didn't. Well, go see what your hero is. Oh, uh, sure. Sure. Up to. But I think that it's uh, a huge leap to even think that Elaine would be, go leave the catalog to go see Kramer at karate practice. Right. But Jerry knows Elaine like for a normal person. It's a leap. But Jerry knows how Elaine works. Like okay. she doesn't want to get any work done at Peterman. So she may as well leave the office and go do something. Well, Elaine goes down to the dojo and then she finds Kramer fighting a bunch of kids. And she wants to know, uh, what are you doing and Kramer's response is, I'm dominating. Yeah, he was dominating. He was crushing them. Yeah, yes. Uh, and he says, it's not the size of the opponent. It's their ferocity. Yeah, and then we get more Star Trek talk. Yes. Uh, and so what about the stupid Katra stuff? Uh, and Kramer reveals that that's from the search for Spock, Star Trek 3. But Jerry would have you believe that Star Trek 2 is the better picture, but not Kramer. Uh, that it is universally believed that Star Trek 2 is the best of the Star Trek films. And for the most part, Spock is better than Khan. No, Khan is better than Spock. The even numbered Star Trek films are considered to be far better than the odd numbered Uh, Star Trek films. Right. They're the San Francisco giants of Star Trek. Yes. Yeah. Same thing. Yes. (laughs) Don't stop believing. Um, yeah, I wish any of my teams were good in even or odd numbered. (laughs) Yeah. We'll take uh, years that end in five, anything, anything. Anything. (laughs) 
All right. So uh, Kramer ends up getting pushed by Elaine and then all the kids like, oh, wow. There should have been like a get out, you doofus. I don't know why she just says you doofus here. You doofus. Okay. All right. So Jerry is at the diner and he's holding like a whole focus group about people wanting to know about how his breakup ended and ultimately uh, she broke it up with broke broke it off with him. How does that play? Better, or worse. Uh, Ruthie Cohen is there. The manager of Monks is there. You know, this isn't like a really great scene, but I think it's on paper. Like when you're in the writers' room, this is a really funny idea. Yeah, it's a funny idea to have everybody there. But again, I don't know why Jerry is able to hold court in Monks. I guess uh, like is it right? Is the restaurant closed? Like why are they doing this? Did he offer them money? It doesn't make sense. Right. I guess he is their best customer, right? <laughs> I guess so. I mean, I guess that it's some bizarro version of Seinfeld that it's almost like uh, Cheers where uh, yeah. Jerry is sort of like the norm uh, who's like the regular patron of Monks who's in there all the time. I, I guess, but yeah, he is right. But if he's only ordering cereal, how much money is he spending at Monks? Every he's day? not only ordering cereal. I take you back to last ep- last episode when that's what he said. <laughs> okay, all right. So then uh, Kramer is uh, being dragged into the alley by Joey, and uh, supposedly that's where Joey's mom is picking up Kramer. Uh, that's ideally where you want to pick up your kids in Midtown Manhattan in a dark alley at night in 1996. Also, like they let's say class was like from seven to nine or six to eight. And now class gets out like where, you know, where does the mom think everyone is? You know, did they call right. and say like, oh, we're running late? You know, what is the mom doing right now? I, I, I think logistically this is complicated. And there's more than like there was only five or six kids in the carpool. The whole class is beating him up. So. Right. And like what, everyone called their mom and said, like, give us 20 more minutes. We need to beat up Kramer. And what time of day does the sun go down in mid-September? I mean, what it's got to be at least like 730, 8 o'clock at night. Yeah, this is very late for kids karate. These <laughs> kids are not getting enough sleep at night. That's probably why they're so bad <laughs> yeah. at karate and they're losing the Kramer. So the kids all then go ahead and beat up Kramer. And then this is like the typical Seinfeld, like somebody is getting beat up. There's always a ladder. Uh, that they go to try to climb to get away, but then get pulled down. Yeah, I love the karate stuff. Yes. Uh, then uh, Kramer ends up taking a beating at the hands of all these kids. Uh, well-deserved beating. He should not have been in that class. Yeah. So Jerry's on the phone, and he tells his dad that they're just having like some small talk, uh, you know, don't catch fish at the condo, and then uh, I'm not getting married. Elaine's here. Tell mom, and he rips the phone out of the wall when it starts to ring again. That's how we should all talk to our parents. <laughs> Yeah. Drop a bomb and then hang up. It's the good move. So Jerry is talking to Elaine, who has shown up. Uh, Did you stop by the dojo? How's your confidence? It's shot. It's gone. A lot of this in this episode between like asking a question, like one word answers like uh, and now not like a self-esteem shot. Like it's there's a lot of just like it's very like sing songy in terms of like the pacing in this episode. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. Yeah. And so we find out that Elaine has put out the catalog and suddenly it's like that Elaine's self-confidence is gone, but almost her self-awareness is back in full force that she immediately knows that the urban sombrero is a disaster. Like nothing else happened besides Elaine going to see Kramer do karate. And now she completely realizes that the J. Peterman catalog she made is terrible. Yeah, this is like, you know, it's like she saw a therapist on the street. Uh, you know, wearing like a Winnie the Pooh costume or something. And it, it, it's like the person who gave me advice, I no longer respect. So now everything I thought 
is, you know, is out the window. Yeah. But she- this also lends credence to my theory that the, you know, the inverse proportionality between self-confidence and the self-awareness that now she's very self-aware and her confidence is down to zero. Right. Because she knows that she had no business putting out that catalog. And it's almost like she has an emperor's new clothes type moment where she's like, oh, my God. Like I was naked the whole time. Uh, and then she realizes that Urban Sombrero is terrible. The whole catalog is a disaster. Yeah, she was naked, but for an Urban Sombrero. Yes. Uh, who's the doofus? Uh, yo, Elaine is. All right. So uh, she shows Jerry the <laughs> Urban Sombrero also that was on the cover. <laughs> uh, Kramer comes in. I think he's very funny uh, in this scene. Uh, and, you know, he's had a beat down. And so he ends up seeing the urban sombrero. He cannot hide his disdain for the urban sombrero. Uh, yeah, he was way off. <laughs> yes, he's because Elaine says it's your fault. You said I could run the company. So, yeah, well, then I was way off. <laughs> he's really not sugarcoating anything. I mean, Kramer had a concussion because he says his head hurts, basically. Right. And he, yeah, but, but Kramer is so sort of demented that when he gets a concussion, he thinks straight. Wow. Yeah. I mean, he always has had that about him where he tells people what he really thinks. Like he can't give somebody a dishonest opinion. Uh, we should also, I think we did a concussion count when he was getting a lot of them in oh, like yeah. season four, I think. So this is at least concussion number four for yes. Kramer. Uh, I mean, he's not talking about Yo-Yo Ma or anything like that at this point. Yeah. And because he's a method actor, you know, Kramer slash Michael Richards could blame his CTE for other things, technically. Yes. Okay. So you think that <laughs> there will be a lawsuit against uh, the makers of Seinfeld? It's possible. <laughs> wow. Watch out Anything that. that happened after 1998, he could only blame on brain injuries. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, then we see Elaine leave. Jerry tells her uh, via con Dios. Uh, so... They're going to call up George uh, and uh, after Kramer ends up saying, uh, hey, you should go and help George out. He's a widower. Uh, And uh, Jerry realizes, hey, that is a great excuse to tell people what happened to his fiance. It's more of a George excuse, though, to lie and say that that your fiance is dead. Yeah. All right. So they're in this meeting. They're talking about uh, these 48 acres on Southampton. Boy, that's uh, that's I, I mean, the Russes are that rich. The 48 acres Southampton. Yeah. I don't even know if you're allowed like that much that many acres in the Hamptons. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot of acres. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, I don't even know if you want 48 acres. I mean, uh, what's the upkeep on that? It's too much. It's a lot. <laughs> right. All right. So, George, uh, here's the phone ringing in this conference room and he goes and picks it up. So Jerry has the phone number for the new <laughs> Ross foundation phone memorized that he can call it from the payphone at monks. I mean, it clearly isn't listed even if he had a phone book on him, right? This is a new company that, you know, existed for about a week. Uh, yeah, it's insane, right? I mean, unless George told him the number and it's like three, three, three Susan, then yeah. he shouldn't know it. All right. Well, Jerry says, George, your story is testing through the roof uh, and George wants to get out. Are we done here? No, not even close. Uh, And Jerry is trying to tell him that women here are eating grilled cheese and they want to get back to selling Susan's doll collection. Estimated value, two point six million. It's not even worth discussing. It's so insane. So it's so ludicrous. If it was point one million, uh, we'd say ludicrous. Stop talking about this. (laughs) 
<laughs> right. All the dolls in the world aren't worth two point six million dollars. Yes. Yes. OK. Uh, then there's a tag of Elaine riding the subway and people talking about how the urban sombrero ruined their lives. More ludicrous than dolls being worth two point six million dollars. <laughs> yes. If you wear an urban sombrero, you get fired immediately. You get your walking yeah. papers stapled to them. All right. Uh, let's talk about uh, overall our first outing here in season eight. You mentioned in the inside look that even Jerry said that he was not thrilled uh, with this episode. Certainly there are high points, but what did you think? Uh, just big picture in this episode. Again, they struggle. They're, they're fighting an uphill battle in episode one here because like you say, the backlash was pretty strong. So they almost had to do a 180 and say like, oh no, George does care about Susan. So he's not really as flippant about her death in this episode as he was in the finale of season seven. They actually kind of nail some of the secondary stories. I love the karate story. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I I, I like the idea of, you know, it's not a home run, but I like the idea of Elaine uh, running the Peterman catalog. The Urban Sombrero is very memorable. That's funny. Iconic Urban Sombrero. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, you know, Jerry's sort of like testing the this stuff is is pretty good. There's nothing disastrous about it. I just think that the uh, the foundation stuff will pay off starting next episode, but it it doesn't really pay off. But there's there's also yeah, like you give this. There's a lot of they're setting up the season, so there's a lot of uh, you know sort of getting us ready for for what's to come, especially next episode, where you know there's uh there's not a lot of. Uh, you know, we're not moving the plot forward so much as we're reestablishing like where George and everybody is coming into season eight. The only thing I'll disagree with you on is that I don't think it's so much that George feels bad in this episode, but that the writers decided that he needed to have some sort of karmic punishment. He shouldn't just be able to have Susan die be happy about it and go back to this sort of fun life that he had before that one way or another, like he needed to be miserable still uh, because of Susan uh, and her dying was not going to be the end of his suffering. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, you're right. They they just sort of needed to scrap. They, they didn't fully commit to this. Like, oh, we don't care that she's dead idea. But, um, I, you know, the, they'll, the foundation ends up like playing out much better next week. So we'll, we'll, you know, there, there is a payoff to this, right? We needed to punish George for what he did. Yeah. But, and like the tone is just so weird in this episode. Like we're still sort of mourning, you know, moping around 15 minutes into the episode. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's grade it out. So I guess, so why don't we start with the easy stuff? Kramer doing karate, Kramer karate class. Uh, to me, that's an A. I, I love Kramer so. doing karate. Yeah, it's iconic. It's memorable. Uh, what about uh, George with all of the business with the foundation? Uh, it, it's fine. I think the it, it's one of these things. The first time you see it, it was like super interesting to see where they're going to go with it. I'll give it a B minus. Uh, boy, I think that uh, I feel like you're low on it. I feel like I would probably give it an A minus or a B plus uh, just because I think it's uh, so memorable and an interesting turn for uh this story to go after susan's death okay yeah that's fair okay what about jerry who sort of has a few different stories going on in this episode i mean what would you say is his main one is it try is it the trying to figure out a new excuse to tell people about why his engagement didn't work out i mean they ripped off the band-aid with genie really well i'll give jerry an a minus that scene is only a few seconds but but I, i think they did a really good job of if, they're, if you're not going to keep uh, Janine Garofalo around long term, they did a good job of explaining it. 
other shows would have copped out in much worse ways. They at least made it funny and interesting. Yeah, that was fun. But I feel like that the stuff with Mulva getting involved with the diner in terms of. Yeah, it feels like, like she's only in two scenes. Yeah, there should have been another scene with her or zero scenes with her. Yeah. So I, I feel like that for me, this is just a C. I think probably the Jerry stuff is the weakest part of this episode. Mm hmm. And then we also have a lane with working at the Peterman catalog and everything with the urban sombrero. Yeah, I'll give that an A minus. I love the urban sombrero. Peterman really uh, give uh, he's like a zero in this episode. Um, but once he's gone, I, I like those scenes a little bit better. Yeah, um, I think it was just OK. All this stuff for me. I mean, I like the idea of the urban sombrero. But, you know, I think that you and I disagree on how uh, cartoony Elaine gets uh, when she starts to have confidence. So I feel like it's probably a B or a B minus for me. Okay. So, all right, Keith. So the foundation first episode post Larry David first episode of season eight, uh, where did it fall in your rankings? I feel like you're uh, relatively high in this episode, maybe even more so than me. So I'll guess that you are at about 77. That's a very good guess. Yeah. I think the karate stuff saves this from being a below average episode. I have it at 83, 83, uh, which is a pretty good guess. Uh, without the karate stuff, it would be into the hundreds. But I, I, I love the, the, the dojo scenes. OK. All right, Keeve. So let's dig into our foundation mailbag. Uh, first mailbag of season eight. Our email address Seinfeld at postshowrecaps.com. All right, Keeve. So we got to kick things off as we always do. Uh, the great Johnny DeSilvera. Yeah, so he says there's multiple multiple Star Trek references in this episode. What's your favorite Star Trek movie? His favorite is Star Trek Six. How many do they make? There's six movies that were made with the original cast. Then the Star Trek The Next Generation cast uh, went ahead and made four movies. The first of which was called Star Trek Generations, which featured Captain Kirk. So that was sort of like the crossover passing of the torch movie. Uh, and now there have been three movies in the rebooted uh, Star Trek universe. So altogether, that's 13 Star Trek movies. Now, do you like the J.J. Abrams ones or, or the new ones? I don't. I actually I've, I've talked about that on other podcasts that I like Star Trek as a TV show. But I feel like that Star Trek as a movie, I feel like tries too hard to be Star Wars. And I feel like that at its heart, uh, Star Trek is not an action show. It's more of mm -hmm. a workplace drama about people no. who are, you know, sort of working together and on a mission as opposed to, uh, you know, shooting and trying to blow up the Death Star. So Max the Millennials next. He probably <laughs> knows nothing about Star Trek. What does he have to say? Max the Millennial writes to say, I was going to ask a question about the foundation, but Jerry Seinfeld just retweeted me with both of you mentioned in the tweet. Please tell me what the strategy is from here to turn his retweet into Seinfeld coming on the podcast. Keith, could you give us the backstory on this? Yeah, Max uh, tweet. I guess he watched Colin Quinn has a new Netflix special yes. that Jerry directed, which I think originally he was doing as uh, maybe an off-Broadway show that Jerry was directing. Yes. Should I watch the special now at this point? Now, I haven't seen it, but I, but I, you know, I heard good things from Jerry retweeting tweets that were good about it. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I'm looking for something uh, that to like watch for like uh, like for five minutes until I pass out. And then uh, I feel like a Netflix comedy special is usually a good place to go. Yeah, it, it sounded interesting when, when I first read about it that, you know, I think it's like the history of the United States of America or something. So I think it's worth trying. Maybe I'll check it out over this long weekend. Mm -hmm. um, but I, but so it, he tweeted at us and Colin Quinn saying, you guys would really like it. You should check it out. And then Colin Quinn retweeted, but Colin Quinn retweets everything. And then Jerry 
must have signed on to Twitter. He started like retweeting compliments about this special that he directed and he and he retweeted it. So we really should have swooped in then and been like, uh, uh, Colin Quinn was great, but you know what's would it be even better? Like you coming on our podcast, Jerry. I think Jerry. that the move is not to then move in for the kill with the podcast talk. I think that even like that the fact if he knew that we had a podcast, I feel like he would have deleted the retweet. Then, but like, I mean, obviously there is no scenario where we could get him, but like what, what, um... What what is the move there? Well, we that we need to figure. You're out saying what, like, no, this is going to ruin your chance with the pretty girl, and and I'm saying to you like, we're never going to see the pretty girl again. Who cares? Just throw your throw you know your your hail mary pass and see if. We I mean, Keeve, your plan is like, hey, you know, uh, give your phone number out to every single woman that you meet because you know, hey, it might work uh, for one time. You're, you're going to scare him away. I mean, he's already so disinterested. I don't know what would be. And also, like, I don't think he gets, even though he probably has like a million followers, I don't think he gets that many tweets. Now we have to be Twitter friends. He's not going to remember us. He's going to remember like a face. He's like, oh, yeah, you were the two guys from the retweet from the other day, right? The Colin (laughs) Quinn special. I mean, he has a million followers. I, you know, he he knows all of his followers. Um, I I think you have to go for the kill there because I think he'll he'll ignore it or he won't remember who you are. No, this is the next move, Keeve. We get Millennial Max. To retweet us or to tweet to Jerry at Jerry Seinfeld at Keeve 26 at Rob Sisternino. Hey, just watch the season premiere of Comedians in Cars getting coffee. How hysterical. I love this show. Jerry retweets that. Now, all of a sudden, now we have two retweets. OK, and then we keep He's not going to remember there was for Max. He was just blindly retweeting anything. You don't know that when special. I know He's like, that. oh, this kid's a millennial. OK, I got to reach that younger base for the Colin Quinn comedy special. All well, right. I don't He's think his Twitter name is Max the Millennial. <laughs> it's not. No, I think we just call him Max the Millennial. I don't think that's oh. his Twitter name. OK, well, but okay, I mean, so part of the plan is Max. You got to switch your Twitter name to Max the Millennial. Okay. Sorry. All right. And then we just keep going from there. Like, what's the next project Jerry is trying to promote? Think ahead. Think about he, where he's going on different of shows like, oh, my, I, I just went to Caesar's Palace this weekend and saw your stand up. It was so hilarious. Everybody should go see it. Boom. Another retweet. You're trying to get on base with like some singles, not even singles. You're trying to get on base with like a buck. Yeah. And I'm I'm trying to hit a home run here. Oh, yeah. Well, but you'll be <laughs> a swinging uh, like a Jay Bruce. You're going up there. I'm Adam Dunn, but the one time I, I, I you know, make contact, forget about the ball. <laughs> All right, uh, let's keep going. And uh, that it was uh, Adam Dunn ever a national? I feel like he had to have been, right? Uh, he was. Yeah, I believe he was. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Dan, the benefactor, writes, one character takes on a leadership role they're completely unqualified for and runs the place into the ground. And another character is part of a charitable foundation that is clearly spending lavishly on non-charitable items, including a fancy portrait of the foundation's namesake. This is just a crazy coincidence, right? Don't get too political on a stand. <laughs> and I don't even know which which candidates switch here. I don't know what you're trying to say. <laughs> yeah, I think they're both the same candidate. Uh, you might be right. Yeah. That is kind of an impressive coincidence that we're up to this this week. Although I guess we could be up to it any point in the next four years. It's pretty much the same. Um, th- yeah, that's that's pretty good, Dan. That's a good catch by you. And also that Dan the Benefactor adds in, in terms of real charitable giving, you two amassed a $717 bounty for season seven. Keep it going to the baby buggy slash uh, good foundation. The good plus foundation. Good yeah. plus foundation. Uh, 
wait, seven hundred seventeen dollars just for season seven. Well, I think that it was one minute for every minute that we went over what, like a dollar a minute, a dollar a minute over an hour. Right. And I think that Dan made this deal like at the absolute nadir yeah. of podcast length uh, sometime around like, I don't know if I was just like, uh, you know, finishing up what the evolution of strategy or something like that. So it was like the podcasts at that point were, you know, pretty short. Uh, where right. they almost all are like approaching the two hour. Right. Mark. He was thinking like five bucks a week, then 10 bucks one week, zero dollars the next week. So we right. Like 53 minutes sometimes. So then we ended up like to the tune of like almost like $40 a podcast. Dan, I mean, this <laughs> and last week we were at 205, which is 65 bucks for him. <laughs> First of all, he's he better win. You better win another one of uh, one of, of our survivor pools. He already yeah. won one. So but he's got to have the second one just to pay for a season. Right, here's to, what we, we need have now. to start playing fantasy basketball just for him to get some money. So then Millennial Max needs to tweet out like, oh, wow, just read about that charitable contribution that at Dan, the benefactor gave to the foundation. And then Jerry retweets that. Yes, that there we go. I think if we keep plugging you know because we use this charitable uh giving for our gain um we if we keep plugging the fact that the podcast you know we won't give you the credit dan or we'll partial credit but the podcast donates money to jessica seinfeld's charity that could really get us an in to to getting us to jerry hmm yeah i think that's even if we just got jessica like jerry's an impossible get but what if we ask jessica to plug the podcast on the po- like to plug the charity on the podcast. Okay. She what is your, what does she care? She might come on. We'll say, mm-hmm. hey, we give a lot of money. You want to talk about the charity? Maybe we'll uh we're happy to promote it. And then once we've had Jessica, that's the best in you could po- she she becomes our friend. We have to delete this. But once we get Jessica, we that's our in the Jerry. I think we got it, Rob. I think we can get Jerry on by the end of season nine. I don't know. Let's think this through, Keeve, that if your wife we need came to, home, we need to. Yeah, we need to like ex, we need to really exploit the charity part. Yeah. yeah. OK. Yeah. No, but if your wife came home and said, hey, yes. I've just made friends with these two podcasters, you mm-hmm. should go on their podcast next. Yeah. I feel like that there's a red flag. I'm, I'm not I'm not interested in doing this. Okay, now in this scenario, am I like one of the most famous people in the country? No, you're you. Oh, okay. You know, so it's much like for Jerry. Do you think he's the type of guy who does whatever his wife says? No, I think that's if your wife. How about if your wife came home and said, I was at the hospital today and there was a guy and he really wants you to come on his podcast. (sighs) What? What podcast? It doesn't matter. You're going on. You're going to you're going to sigh. What is it about? You're going on. Yeah, uh, it's about um, it is about uh, climate change, climate change. I mean, yeah. that, uh, is it a climate popular? Is it a, is it a popular podcast? Uh, no, nobody. No, uh, they have uh, three reviews on iTunes. Well, why do they want to talk to me? Um, because they, they have a theory that reality television is affecting climate change. I mean, I, I have to do this. And also, like they say that you actually uh, contribute the least to to harming the environment because you're always home. Right. And you're very like eco friendly. And I did not contribute to cutting down a lot of trees in the Amazon when I was there. Right. Ah, that's true. That's a good point. That's a good point. Um, You know, I if she said on told me I had to do it uh, and, you know, um, you know, that I could be convinced. Yeah. So I I just think that that's the end. I think the wife is the end. I have seen like celebrities or like on Twitter. I've seen like 
spouses of more famous people. Mm-hmm. Let's say like your husband is a showrunner or a writer of it. Like I have seen like it's in LA circles. It's not appropriate to go to a spouse to ask for a favor. Like, hey, uh, person X, do you want your your significant other who's more famous than you? Can you please just ask them if they will come on my podcast yeah, or do cool. my? Yeah, that's supposedly not good in LA. But I don't live in LA. I feel like I'm allowed to do it. You're allowed to do it. You're <laughs> and Jerry's not in LA. Jerry lives in New York, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see. We'll keep thinking this through. Okay. Uh, so then uh, let's take another question. And uh, how about this one from uh, Matt in Massachusetts? What does Matt have to say? I just, I just want to say like 707. Now I sort of like want to keep the podcast short. I maybe we should really absolve Dan of for seasons eight and nine or like make it make it cheaper for him to listen to this. There's no way he enjoys it at this point. He probably like it downloads every Sunday morning for him. And he's like, oh, God, I have to like make a new chair or whatever he does, like make another desk this week or or like you might gonna, be like, well, I have to not pay his rent. Yeah, I feel like I have to listen to it again to get my money's worth. It's true. It's true. And no one's chipping in to help someone chip in. Help. Oh, my God. Now I yeah, feel bad. Where, we got to keep this. Where at, like, are you a on this? Hour. Chester? Yeah. <laughs> a tight hour. Five freeloading Chester. Right. All right. Matt Massachusetts. Are we surprised that Mrs. Z would allow her son to be in the same karate class as Kramer, uh, let alone giving him a ride to the class so soon after the events that transpired last season? Think about it. Joey thought that he was a monster, and it was Kramer's idea to have Mickey lie in Joey's bed, and it scared his mother to death. Yeah, well, I, I guess they explained it away. What do you think? Not to mention that the police were involved. I mean, Kramer yeah. was interrogated by the police as being like some sort of kidnapper. And went to jail. <laughs> We don't know if he went to jail, but he at least went to the police station. Yeah, he yeah, went to the police station. So I don't know. I don't know. But, uh, it's a really good point in terms of Kramer. Yeah, we, we've learned that Mrs. Z is desperate for babysitting. She may be a single mom. She might have a thing uh, for Kramer. Yeah, she might. That's true. And also yeah. like the building etiquette. You don't want to make a bad single mom. enemy in your building as as George, as, as Jerry's shown. Like you get on the bad side of the building. You don't kiss them. Hello. Forget about it. Yeah. Uh, Pat in Ohio wants to know, do you have any thoughts as to why Susan's parents would make George the head of the Susan Ross Foundation, considering that they blame George for Susan's death? Does that come up? Is that a plot point that they blame George for the death of Susan? Yeah, that's going to come up this season. Uh, I think it's uh, keep your friends close, keep your enemies closer. Yeah. How do we get to that? How do they come up with that George killed her? Well, first of all, it's going to start next week. George is going to tape is going to tape the conversation next week in the uh, in the soulmate mm-hmm. uh, and uh, eventually eventually gets there later in the season. I think that I, I they never really trusted George. They're not certain, but it's a suspicion of theirs. That's going to that they're going to be certain of by the end of the season. OK. All right. Well, we will uh, follow that. Maybe they just want to. Yeah, they want to be able to keep tabs on him. I think that's the cleanest answer. Yeah. What does Craig from Vancouver uh, have to say? Wants to say that Elaine broke up with legendary baseball player Keith Hernandez because he smoked. And yet this is the second time in five episodes that she is smoking. Did the writers just forget that she hates smoking? Well, I do believe that, you know, that she's smoking cigars, not cigarettes. I do think that there is a, a thing where you could hate cigarettes, but like cigars or smoke an occasional cigar. But cigarettes is constant. I mean, you smoke a cigar once in a while. She's not always smoking cigars. Right. You don't walk around smelling like cigars every day. If you smoke a cigar once a night or once a week or something. Right. Cigarette smokers smell like smoke all day, assuming they smoke a pack a day or whatever. Yeah. All right. Caleb from Atlanta says, after how happy George was that Susan dies, why in the hell is he going to go and see Susan's grave? Seems unlike George. I mean, again, he has to. Otherwise, her parents are going to suspect George 
of killing him, you know, in episode one, as opposed to later in the season. Yes. I mean, it's like a ceremony of like a, where they're unveiling the headstone. I mean, when, uh, you know, for those of you guys who are lucky enough not to uh, have lost somebody, but, you know, the headstone isn't ready when uh, a person is first buried and then down the road that the, the, the headstone is ready and then it's there and then you go see it. Yeah, we call it unveiling. Yes, that's the Jewish term. Yes. Is that a Jewish term or everyone calls it? I think it's just a term. Oh, okay, fine. I'm saying because I know, you know, I know growing up, but I don't know if that's like just us or whatever. Uh, We usually do it, I think, at the year mark, but I don't know if that's I don't know. I I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm going to get an angry email from Chester. Yeah. Um, uh, What does Vince Ham say? (laughs) Given that Rob is a galaxy class Star Trek fan, he is probably already aware that the Star Trek two quote using the foundation is slightly wrong. Jerry says that she's not really dead as long as we find a way to remember her. However, in the movie, Dr. McCoy says he's not really dead as long as we remember him. Just a uh, very, uh, you know, nitpicky thing there, Vince. Uh, Also, aside from changing the gender pronouns, I've always wondered why they bothered to add the, quote, find a way part. While adding this hits the point a little more on the head, they could just as easily have added a line from the Rosses saying that they're creating a foundation to be sure that Susan would, in fact, be remembered. Yeah, I like how. So he ends uh, he ends the email with. uh while there's, of course, more to nitpick about how Seinfeld pays tribute to the Wrath of Khan, I'm impressed they boldly went there, and I don't want to come off as too much of a Chester. So I love that he said that, but when you say you don't want to be a Chester in your fifth <laughs> paragraph of an email about Star Trek, you've become a Chester, <laughs> at least for this email, Vince Ham. <laughs> the USS Chester Prize. Yeah, but I do like that people, it's really become a phrase. I don't want to become too much of a Chester. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right, uh, Lindsay. Uh, all right, Lindsay says, what's the best excuse George could have come up with to get out of the foundation job? Is there anything? I mean, he could get out of like, individual nights of coming and say I'm too busy. Yeah, every night but, I have to work late. I'm on, you know, pen and race. What about I miss her too much? I, I just can't even, th- I can't even see her face right now. Can't I need- do it. More time. It's too the the wound is too raw. Mm. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, could he just move to Staten Island uh, now that he has access to his clothes? I mean, he'd have to move out of the New York area. Staten Island. He's just going to have a longer <laughs> trip in. The sta- moving to Staten Island doesn't get you out of found- foundation meeting. What if he moves to like uh, you know um, somewhere upstate, like uh, Tappan Zee? I think they're still going to make him come in. Maybe not like <laughs> once a week, but at least once a month. You're still coming. All right. Fine. Fine. Once a month. Yeah. That's fine. Okay. Uh, she also wants to know, have either of us gotten offered a position or, you know, gotten into positions of authority that we weren't qualified for? Because Lindsay was recently inexplicably offered a job that I was horribly underqualified for. Fortunately, she knew better than to take it. She realizes this sounds like a humble brag. But it self-awareness. No, that's a humble brag. Yeah. But yeah. It, it's aware. The awareness is half the battle. Knowing that you're humble bragging, that's okay. Yes. R.I.P. Harris Whittles. Okay. So, uh, have you ever gotten a position? I feel like that you, you've got to have a good story like this. Have I ever been offered a job? I interviewed for a job, a teaching job at a really good school. Uh, a school so good that, you know, the guy who's running the country now went there. Mm-hmm. Uh, not, not Donald Trump, the guy who's helping him run the country. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike Pence. Uh, no, no, uh, Jared Kushner. <laughs> um, it was, it was like, I was, the point is it was like, I was like 22 and the job was so out of my league that and the interview didn't go well it was probably the worst interview i ever had and so the principal sent me an email was like uh we hired someone like vastly more qualified than you yeah it, like he insulted me in the email like you wasted our time with like it even trying to interview me. uh so i guess i'm trying to like i'm i don't know if i've ever been offered anything but i would also know 
not to take a job I wasn't qualified for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about you? Um, I don't really have anything great like that. There was a one situation that I was in where, you know, I had been working for somebody at a, a company and they ended up, you know, firing the guy that I worked for who brought me in and then giving me his job. And then he, he was really uh, not happy about that. Yeah. And he blamed you didn't blame me but uh then like uh we sort of both thought that the writing was on the wall that the company was going under um Mm -hmm. and uh, like he was like trying then he was like constantly like messaging me while we were at that while i was still working at that company uh to talk to me about like what we were going to do next and i was like hey look i gotta i gotta still work here like like i don't want to get fired like like you did yeah that's pretty uh i mean it's tough like it's always tough when someone gets fired and and then some everyone gets blamed and then the person who left Leaves feels bad. Amir. Yes. Says uh, Kramer, not even realizing that Elaine's been gone for six weeks, proves our theory that literally nothing happens to the gang off screen. Yes. Yes. We're on the money on that one. Yes. I mean, they're really like just shoving it down our throats at this point. It's nothing happens like they, they, get, they catch up on their sleep and then maybe they go to a few movies, but there's no hijinks at the movies. That's all that's happening. That's right. He also says in a future episode, George claims that he would be a kick ass philanthropist. I would have all this money and people would love me. Then they would come to me and beg. <laughs> that, that's, isn't the foundation actually a good situation for George? Amir asks. He gets to wield all this power and influence, but using somebody else's money. Yeah. So I do feel like that there is something uh, to that where he can sort of go around doing like charitable deeds in Susan's name. I mean, he can't be like some sort of like George Clooney type figure. He definitely could be. But you know what I was thinking? Like George had the dolls in his house. Yeah. He should just not have given back the dolls. Dolls, he'd be set for life. <laughs> yeah yeah just keep the doll clothes there's no reason why like his parents flip the dolls i mean i guess like her will all went to her parents but like they lived together and the dolls were in there like he could have at least jacked a couple dolls like especially the doll that looks like estelle i think mm-hmm. he, he keeps that one yeah uh, although didn't frank costanza destroy that one did he destroy it though i don't know what he did is it ruined i don't know uh jester has one last email it says uh susan's tombstone says she died on may 16th George says he has mourned for three months, which places us into mid to late August after Jerry and Elaine say Elaine's been in Mexico for six weeks. Kramer says we just saw the fireworks and Jerry says that that was July 4th. If Elaine left for Mexico shortly after July 4th, it could be late August, confirming the timeline established by George. But the Yankees swept the Orioles four games in Baltimore, July 11th to the 14th. Why would George have been telling Susan about a regular season baseball series that is over a month old? Even the most diehard baseball fans don't do this. I understand he's awkward and just looking for something to talk about, but why not any of the Yankee games over the last month? They played in four walk-offs since that Orioles series, and there's a lot to discuss. I think what George was was doing, he was giving her the whole rundown of what she's missed. So I think he was taking her chronologically. Like, if you see that scene... He's like, and then we swept them and, you know, and uh, the Orioles. So they could have been more, but he was just sort of going in and out and telling different things. This is the Chesteriest story that he's ever <laughs> emailed. Uh, Vince Ham, I take it back. You're not a Chester. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Kramer finally says that uh, if everybody in the karate class is at the same skill level, uh, that's clearly not true. Why isn't Kramer advanced into a higher class? Yeah. Uh, do you know Chester's um, his truck story, his son's truck story? No. So Chester, he's very um, he's pretty distraught right now. I actually we should really call in. I should call. We should call into your uh, a podcast with you and your wife. Yes. And and I'd, I'd love to see what your wife would do in this scenario. Okay. 
Um, if you like the story, I'll, I'll call I'll call the story into your wife the next time you do a podcast. With your wife. His son, he went to a birthday party. He got invited to the birthday party the night before the birthday. His son. OK. For a kid in his class. Yes. They said it was supposed to only be family. And then we inv- we you know, we decided last second we want to have you there. He got to the birthday party and it was like an insanely fancy Manhattan birthday party with 150 people there, including the entire class. Clearly, they were just a last second invite, whether they were, you know, they were forgotten or they realized, like, OK, a few people canceled. Now we could have Chester come, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, as so, OK, not a big deal. You know, they, they invited us last second. We're like last on the list. That's OK. Uh, he they had like really fancy party favors because it was a fancy party. They had a party planner. They had like a bunch of different fancy cakes as as he's leaving. Uh, his son gets like a party bag and the party planner comes over to his son. And apparently every uh, all the all, like the goodie bags, the, like the whatever it's called, like the party favors were personalized. OK. And so he they just she gave an extra one to the kid. He's about to leave Chester with his son. And the party planner comes and says, oh, I need that back and grabs the goodie bag with like a huge toy train in it. That's probably expensive and stuff and takes it away from them. And now, like, he has to go home with his son, who's hysterical because he doesn't have like a like a, a gift bag from the party. And not only does he not have it, he had it in his hand and the party planner took it away. Mm-hmm. And the mom, I think, came over to him and said, uh, hey, you know, like, don't worry tomorrow. They go to the same school. They're kids. So like tomorrow I'm going to send the toy train, like the whole bag with with my son. But he got to school the next day and it wasn't there. And now it's later in the week and he still doesn't have it. And the kid is like hysterical and he's asking for it every day. Hmm. So yeah. his wife wants to confront the mom. Uh, and, I, you know, I, or like he doesn't know what to do. Like he told his son, like, ask the ask the kid. But they're they're, they're little kids. He's not like, I don't know how competent he's do that. I feel like your wife would have murdered this person at this point. Yeah, that these moms, there's no civility uh, between this mom on mom relations. I mean, it's it's terrible that they are just always at each other's throats. They're willing to, you know, get into fist fights over, you know, almost literally. The Wait, drop you know about head. fist fights? What's that? You hear about mom fist fights? No, but I feel like that eventually my wife is going to get into one. It's, it's she's going to get into a fist fight. It's coming. It, I feel like she's going to gonna win the fist fight also. She probably will, but then we'll be sued for damages. It'll, it'll oh, be an true. ugly incident all around. Um, that's I true. think that probably I would move on from this. The, the issue is then anytime a picture of a train comes up, if, again, yeah. if this is my wife, that there's just going to be like rage of like, oh, toy train. Why did they do that? And so yeah. I think I, I would say, let's move past this. Uh, let's get if he wants a toy train, let's just get him a toy train. That's what I would do. I would try and find out what the toy train was and just get him. But we're both wimps, right? We're both like, uh, you know, like not we don't we don't see confrontation. Right. Because when maybe when it's important, when it's something when like, let's save the confrontation for when it's a, uh, a matter of importance and not sure. a goodie bag. Sure. There's like bullying going on in school or something serious. Something. Yeah. Something that it's worth it for. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, you know, like, well, why waste the energy? Should, should I call this into your into your wife and ask her, uh, like, will this get riled up on a podcast? Uh, it doesn't take much, but I feel like that um, it's probably too long of a story. She doesn't have the attention span, I think, to follow it. <laughs> All right, but you could ask her if you ever have a conversation with her. Yeah. Off, off the uh, right now, what I'm wrestling with is so I was having a hard time like sleeping. I woke up in the middle of the night and I couldn't fall back asleep. And I woke up in the morning and I don't remember if I either had a dream or this really happened. But my wife woke up 
and looked at me and said, I hate you. And then went right back to sleep. <laughs> oh, boy. And oh, I see, that, that happens to me not in dreams. So but, I, I would. But would, Keeve, I yeah. either this was a very vivid dream or mm. it happened. So I asked her this morning. Did you wake up in the middle of the night and tell me you hate me and then go back to sleep? And she says, yeah. no, it didn't happen. She says that it was a dream. Fascinating. I, but I don't know if it really wasn't. I think that she might be using the dream now as an excuse. Yeah. You should have said, Hey, why'd you wake up in the middle of the night and say, hate me? And if, you know, and then she'd be on the defensive and be like, oh, I don't know. I was joking around. She wouldn't know to say that was a dream. Now, when, when you give her the dream out, she's going to take the dream out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe at some point she'll say, and you know what? It wasn't a dream. And, you know, that's like the they're real and they're spectacular of a uh, punchline right. of this story. Yeah. <laughs> Just so you know. Yeah. But I, <laughs> I'd like real. to see your <laughs> I'd like to see your wife deal with it. I mean, my wife also is very my parents would have been like, eh, who cares? No. Yeah. Stop they would not have. This. Yeah. Yeah. What do you want? A participation trophy for participating oh. in the birthday party? Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the But. My wife would actually like like run a bulldozer through these people's house at this point. Like I feel like his wife who's 9 months pregnant is being more calm than my wife would have been and probably your wife would have been. Right, right. Okay. Keeve, uh that's it for the intro to season 8 here on the Seinfeld recap podcast. Yes. Okay. Uh so the stage is set. What's coming up next week? Next week we've got the soulmate. We got a lot of sectomies going around. George leaving a tape recorder at the foundation meeting to see what's going on. Good episode. Okay. Um, and then what's the hashtag this week, Keith? Oh, I don't know. For the 137th <laughs> time in a row, I forgot to write anything down. Hashtag unveiling? No, I don't know. That's too morbid. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. We didn't really have any good uh, hashtags in this episode. Hashtag, uh, um, what? Suburb, suburban sombrero? Suburban sombrero. Uh, hashtag uh, two room tent. Uh, two room tent. Uh, no, I don't want to. I don't see now. Anytime someone tweets that, I'm gonna just gonna remember this awful weekend. <laughs> All right, go with the uh, suburban sombrero. Uh, thanks so much to Scott St. Pierre, who does the editing on the Seinfeld Recap Podcast, and Mike Moore, who writes the episode recap. What are you working on on 32 uh, fans? Nonstop coverage of the terrible Jets. Yeah, we had a double double episodes this week. We did a uh, we did a NFL episode and we did a college football episode. But we had a lot of uh, child birthday party talk. If you want to hear that story from the source in question. In a lot more uh, detail, you could you could listen at thirty two fans. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that uh, the uh, like the beauty of Chester, I think, is uh, when he like goes off on something that's like not necessarily worthy of you know a conflict where he sort of like takes the nothing and turns it into something that he's very upset about. This is probably like he has like grounds to be upset here. Yeah, he has reasonable ground, but I feel like he's less upset than 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 his wife. And it, and it, it's getting interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, all fun stuff. Uh, looking forward to hearing what you guys have to say in the comments. You can subscribe to the podcast. Go to postshowrecaps.com slash Seinfeld iTunes. Keith, anything else? No, I'm excited that we're into season eight. I'm very excited. All right. Great stuff. Talk to you guys next week. Have a great Thanksgiving uh, weekend. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.